evening and welcome to the front page, keeping you up to date on the biggest news of the day from the New Zealand Herald and News Talk ZB. It's Friday, 1st of February. I'm Juliette Sivertson. Our big stories of the day include the stealth tax. How much extra tax have you been paying? CTV families appalled at appeal. A lack of women on New Zealand boards is being labelled an embarrassment to the country. And a Tereo makeover for a much-loved Beethoven composition. Wage and salary earners paid out $1.7 billion in what's been called a stealth tax last year. According to advice to the tax working group, it was after inflation increases pushed workers and their pay packets into higher tax brackets. Officials have warned the public could see the money as having come through a stealth tax and government may want to change it as a value judgment. They've also said if the government did change tax rates, it would increase transparency and account for inflation, but money would need to be found to pay for public services. To give you an idea of just how much that money is worth, the $1.7 billion quoted by officials is the equivalent of the budget for our entire police force. The extra tax was scooped up after the former government left tax brackets largely unchanged during its time in office, with the highest tax bracket fixed to kick in at $70,000. Since 2008, inflation combined with pay rises has doubled the number of workers paying the full 33% tax rate on earnings over 70000 Those in the highest tax bracket increased in 10 years from 335,000 to 665,000 people. In some countries, tax brackets are automatically tied to inflation, but in New Zealand they're not. The tax working group, led by Sir Michael Cullen, received a stack of submissions calling for an end to bracket creep by linking the tax thresholds with inflation. The working group's report showed only lukewarm enthusiasm for any change, saying occasional deliberate changes would do a similar job as linking the threshold, but would still give government the option to keep the level unchanged. The group's final report is now with Minister of Finance Grant Robertson. Newstalk ZB's chief political reporter Yvette McCullough has more. The final report into the structure, fairness and balance of our tax system has been received, but it'll be a few weeks before we find out what it recommends. It will now be analysed by officials and discussed amongst coalition partners before going to Cabinet on February 18th. The working group will hold a media briefing after this on February 21st, and ministers expect to release the government's full response to the report in April. Robertson says the working group was set up to make sure everyone was paying their fair share and he looked forward to its recommendations. The issue's been seized on by the National Party, which has pledged to change the tax system to force a review every three years. National's finance spokeswoman Amy Adams says the first reset would come after the 2020 election if the party was returned to power. University of Auckland law professor Julie Cassidy, who specialises in tax, said the ability existed for the government to link tax brackets to inflation. She said New Zealand workers were less engaged in the taxation system, with many workers not understanding even the basics of the system. If you want to know how much extra you might have paid in this so-called stealth tax, there's a tool available on the NZ Herald website. Just a few days out from Waitangi Day, and Jacinda Ardern says she wants to turn the rhetoric about partnership with Māori into practical change. A year ago, Ardern told Māori to hold her to account 
And today, she gave iwi leaders the chance to do just that. The Prime Minister met with leaders and the iwi chairs forum in the Bay of Plenty today. The meeting is the bedrock of annual Waitangi Day commemorations and has traditionally taken place behind closed doors. The doors were opened to media today, however, to allow the public to witness the hot-button issues identified by iwi chairs and how they were presented to Ardern. The gathering began with Ardern renewing her pledge to Māori, stating her government placed well-being central to its policies and this was a reflection of a Māori worldview. She says the relationships being forged get stronger every time the government and iwi meet. Ardern says the message she received today was to make sure that filters down. Make sure it's not just the ministers, but it's our departments as well. And that's something we're really focused on. We want to turn some of that corridor into practical changes in the way that we are working together. Iwi leaders presented issues which had been identified through a two-day meeting, ranging from whanauora through to freshwater, global warming and the place Māori had in key government policies. The overarching message they brought to her, voiced by host and Nai Takoto chairman Wallace Rivers, was the ambition all whānau, communities and individuals can achieve their potential. He says the meeting was productive and it's clear they're on the same page. We're talking about what we're trying to achieve, the well-being um, and support for our people. And if we can just um, get the details uh, right between each other in this partnership, we will make this work. Rivers says he's confident they'll make progress on water by the next Iwi Chairs Forum. This year's commemorations mark the 179th year since the Treaty of Waitangi was signed. There's disappointment from the families of those who died in the collapse of Christchurch's CTV building. Alan Ray, the man whose firm designed the building, is appealing a court ruling that disciplinary proceedings against him shouldn't have been dropped. A judicial hearing at the High Court in Wellington, which was sought by the Attorney-General, concluded that Engineering New Zealand, formerly the Institution of Professional Engineers, should have pursued proceedings against Ray, who resigned his membership of the institution in 2014. Justice David Collins said IPANS made an error of law when it decided it had no option other than to dismiss the proceedings. The decision means IPANS could continue with proceedings against Ray. But Ray's lawyer, Willie Palmer, today confirmed to the Herald that he's filed an appeal against Justice Collins' judgment. 115 people died when the building fell in the February 2011 earthquake. Spokesman for CTV Families, Professor Maan al says they just want justice. The CTV Families group are clearly disappointed to hear that Mr Ray has appealed and the delay that it will cause. al says they will keep fighting for someone to be held accountable. Former Building Minister and Nelson MP Nick Smith says he's deeply disappointed by the appeal. Against the very clear High Court decision last month that a professional could not just avoid professional accountability by resigning from a professional body. Smith says it's disgraceful that eight years after the CTV building collapsed, IPENS has not been able to conclude its investigations. He says these ongoing legal shenanigans are unfair on the families and is undermining New Zealand's confidence in our systems for holding professionals accountable. Smith says this case is turning into one of justice delayed, resulting in justice denied. 
Smith has today written to Attorney General David Parker with the full support of the CTV families, encouraging the government to seek urgency on the appeal. Two British men have been arrested by police investigating a series of alleged roofing scams in Auckland. The men, aged 30 and 27, were arrested last night and face fraud charges. Detective Senior Sergeant Bridget Doyle says the arrests are a reminder to members of the public to be cautious about suspicious approaches by people offering to do maintenance work on their homes. Numerous people have contacted the Herald in recent weeks, claiming they've been victims of roofing scams. Earlier, West Auckland resident Tanya Matthews claimed she was duped out of $1,700 by two men who agreed to water blast and paint her roof. They actually did a really shoddy job. They'd been working across the road with our neighbour doing her roof and did a shoddy job on theirs and used this uh, paint, uh, two tins of it. It's not even roof paint. Um, And my husband's been up there for the last three or four days uh, trying to fix their mess. Police say they're still making inquiries into the alleged scams and cannot rule out further arrests. And another police investigation, a gang of teens has been arrested and charged following a number of serious assaults in the Rodney area in Auckland. And they may have targeted more people in the community. Four teens aged 14 to 19 will appear in the North Shore District Court on Tuesday. A fifth teen has now been arrested, a 15-year-old boy who is facing a grievous assault charge. Newstalk ZB's Rosie Gordon reports. They were arrested as police carried out search warrants on three properties in Stanmore Bay this morning. It's understood the alleged offenders are part of a youth gang based in the area. They allegedly assaulted a 20-year-old man in Stanmore Bay earlier this month. Police are not ruling out further charges and are urging anyone who's witnessed an assault or been assaulted to come forward. Now to one of the first cases of its kind, an Auckland honey producer has been prosecuted over allegedly adding synthetic chemicals to its manuka products. Evergreen Life Limited was forced to recall 18 manuka honey products in 2016, following suggestions it had used artificial chemicals, DHA and MGO, during the processing of the honey. Now the company and its manager are being prosecuted by the Ministry for Primary Industries on 71 charges on the alleged use of the synthetic versions. The most serious of the charges carries maximum penalties of five years imprisonment or a $500,000 fine in the case of a body corporate. The chemical DHA is contained naturally in the flowers of the native manuka plant, which converts in the honey to MGO, giving the honey its highly prized antibacterial properties. The chemicals' levels are used by producers to grade the honey, along with the unique manuka factor, or UMF. The case has been remanded to February 14th at the North Shore District Court. An advocacy group's called out New Zealand's slow progress in increasing the number of women on company boards, saying it's embarrassing. Figures released by the NZX show the percentage of women directors on listed company boards increased from 19.7% to 22% in 2018, which works out to be just four more women than in 2017. Most of the change was at the top end of town, with the percentage of female directors on the top 50 companies increasing from 27.2% to 27.3%, which is three more women. 
Outside the top 50, just one woman director was added to a board, increasing the percentage from 14% to 17%. But Global Women says there are still 27 New Zealand-listed companies, or 18%, with no women on their boards, and the country's lagging far behind other developed nations. In the United States, just 2.6% of companies have no female directors. In Australia, it's 4.4%, and India, only 6.6%. Global Women Chief Executive Miranda Burden described the situation as embarrassing for New Zealand. She says it's appalling the over 50% of NZX-listed companies had either no women or only one female director on their board. Burden blamed the lack of women on poor leadership. She says women are overrepresented in all postgraduate and undergraduate degrees in the past decade, so it's not for a lack of talent. Last year, Global Women contacted all boards which did not have a female director and offered them to help find one. Burden says it's important for people to know how poorly New Zealand is doing when it comes to corporates. She says fewer than 10% of listed companies had female board chairs and it's up to boards to address the issue. Some of the suggestions she's made, making a firm commitment to make change and putting a time frame on it rather than just continued discussion around the issue. Now there's some new data suggesting New Zealand's immigration boom wasn't as big as reported at the time. A major revision by StatsNZ shows there's less people in New Zealand than we thought and that could have major implications for the economic outlook. Westpac senior economist Satish Ranshad says that means we'll need to build fewer houses to meet the current shortage. Net migration peaked at 64,000 in mid-2016, not 72,500 in 2017, according to revised figures. It's now tracking at 43,000, about 20,000 fewer migrants a year than previously thought. Ranchlod says the new migration figures change the outlook for GDP growth, employment and housing. StatsNZ has revised the figures based on new research about how many of our long-term arrivals actually stay in the country. The previous data was based on the intended length of stay, as recorded on immigration forms by long-term when they arrived at the border. But it turns out more migrants decide not to stick around than we thought. And that's particularly true for those in the 20 to 29 age bracket, which of course includes a large proportion of international students. While tracking the actual movements of new arrivals is more complex than intentions, StatsNZ now has a system which gives more accurate data. And population figures are due later this month, which will be lower than previous estimates. Pharmac restrictions on a contraceptive pill come into force today. A nationwide leveland shortage caused by the supplier will affect thousands of women. Users will still get a normal prescription, but will only be able to receive one month supply from the pharmacy instead of the usual three or six month supply. They'll then have to return to the same pharmacy the following month. Family Planning National Medical Advisor Beth Messenger says it's a very serious issue. We're very concerned about them not being able to access the pills. This is just one of the pills, it's just Levelin, but that's one of the most common pills that's prescribed in this country. Beth Messenger says the shortage will affect thousands of women in New Zealand. She suggests it could be a good opportunity to look into other long-term contraceptive options. The pill is meant to be restocked in late March. 
New research shows elderly Kiwi men are committing suicide at high rates, but there's no targeted screening or treatment for them. Psychiatrist Dr Gary Chung has led a University of Auckland study published in the New Zealand Medical Journal today. He says the Ministry of Health needs to find a new face for a campaign aimed at encouraging pensioners to seek help for depression. Ministry of Health figures from 2008 to 2017 show that for men, suicide rates spike around ages 15 to 25, slowly decline to age 65, and then they start climbing again, peaking at 32 per 100,000 in men aged 85 and over. In women, the suicide rate peaked at 11 per 100,000 in ages 15 to 20. Chung says a one-size-fits-all approach to suicide prevention would not work. He says specific suicide prevention strategies are needed for older people who have different needs. The study revealed a distinctly different pattern of stresses and behaviours in middle-aged and older people who self-harmed and made suicide attempts. Physical illnesses and depression were common factors associated with self-harm and attempted suicide in older people over the age of 65, or the stresses of relationship separation and financial trouble featured more strongly in middle-aged people, those aged between 45 to 64. Chung hoped the findings would help policymakers and health workers develop age groups targeted screening and treatment to prevent midlife and late-life suicides. Depression was often underreported and underdiagnosed in older people who were more likely to report bodily symptoms than emotional. If you are worried about your or someone else's mental health, the best place to get help is your GP or local mental health provider and you can call the Depression Helpline on 0800 757. And one of Beethoven's most recognisable compositions in the world, Ode to Joy, is set to be performed and sung in Te Reo Māori. The New Zealand Symphony Orchestra is to be part of a unique international project celebrating Beethoven's 250th birthday next year, which will include school and youth choirs performing Ode to Joy in Te Reo. The NZSO will join acclaimed orchestras in Brazil, Britain, the United States, Australia, Austria and South Africa in performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony with the Ode to Joy segment sung in local languages of each country. The NZSO's performances of the Ninth Symphony will also incorporate new works by New Zealand artists reflecting the cultures of New Zealand. The orchestra's worked with leading American conductor Maren Alsop for the past 12 months to be part of the project. She says Ode to Joy is about standing up and being counted in this world and about believing in our power as human beings. Beethoven was all about love and joy and celebrating the essence of what it is to be human and what it is to be connected. And that's what we're trying to do in this project is throw the doors wide open and say, come on, everybody owns this piece. Everybody owns this idea. And together we're much stronger. I think it was the first song I ever learned to play on the recorder. And the violin. A bit squeaky back then. The Today Old Translation of Ode to Joy will also be made available as a learning tool, providing an opportunity for young people around New Zealand to be involved in the project's wider reach. That's the front page for today, Friday 1st of February, making sure you're across the biggest New Zealand news of the day. For more on these stories, check out the New Zealand Herald or tune in to Newstalk ZB. 
And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio and Stitcher. Until next time, have a lovely evening.